Evidence and Answers. Many bestsellers today tell us of fascinating accounts of people who have died and gone to heaven or hell and come back. Some say they saw a shining light. Many say they experienced great peace. Are near-death experiences real? Do they prove there is life beyond the grave? How do we discern between a true and a false testimony? You are listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author and teacher in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Join Pat today as he investigates the phenomena of near-death experiences with Christian scholar Dr. Gary Habermas. This entire interview, along with other interviews with Pat and other top Christian scholars, is available at evidenceandanswers.org. I'm sure you're going to find this show very fascinating. So let's join Pat now as he and guest, Dr. Gary Habermas, explain the facts on near-death experiences. What's heaven like? What's hell like? Many bestsellers today tell us of fascinating accounts of people who have died and gone to heaven or to hell and come back, or many see a bright light and a, at the end of a dark tunnel. Well, what are we to make of these experiences? Are near-death experiences real? If so, what do they prove, and how do we evaluate true from false experience of life beyond the grave? Well, to help us make sense of these accounts, we have with us a very special guest, Dr. Gary Habermas. Dr. Habermas is a distinguished research professor at Liberty Baptist Theological Seminary and chairman of the Department of Philosophy at Liberty University. Gary, welcome to the show. Thank you, Pat. Nice to be with you again. Yes. Now, let's begin with, what do we mean by near-death experience? What is this? Well... That's a good question, because there's a lot of distinguishing... There there are things that distinguish very... Sometimes, to most people, be very slight degrees that would distinguish some of these experiences from another. But a near-death experience is often defined as a state from which the person could reasonably be expected to die had medical intervention not been given. And in that, let's call it a a close-to-death situation, a close call, in that situation, they often, quote-unquote, come back and relate very vivid experiences. I just had one tell me the other day what many, many say. They'll say, I'm telling you what, it's the most real experience I've ever had in my life. It's not one among many. It's the most real experience I've ever had. Now, I should also add, as critics will quickly state, so I'll quickly state it too, not all experiences of the near-death sort happen only when the person is in this state from which they can be expected to die if they don't get medical intervention. Sometimes it happens just before that kind of a state, like let's say you know you're going to have a car accident and it's going to be a bad one, and then all of a sudden you say, hey, I felt like I was up above my car, and I watched the impact, but I wasn't in the car. You know, I mean, just before. And then sometimes very healthy people have very similar experiences. So it's a potpourri of experiences, but the typical one is from a state from which you can reasonably be accepted, uh, be expected to die if there wasn't intervention. In other words, you're not in very good medical shape. Now, a lot of these experiences occur when people are considered what we call clinically dead. Right. Right. What do we mean by that? The definition I just gave 
is the definition that is usually given of clinical death. Clinical death is often defined again. There's a there's a wide there's a range of definitions, and different persons will give different definitions depending on where on that range they're hitting. But clinical death is defined in the literature as a period for, uh, in which there is a cessation or near cessation of certain signs. Like, for example, when someone says, at the scene of the accident, someone says, this person doesn't have a pulse, or this person has an almost indetectable pulse, or I can't get a heartbeat, or something like that. They're not in a hospital, they're not hooked up, but from what trained medical personnel say, they're getting some of this same absence of readings. That's that's the near death would be kind of like uh, we better be we better do something right now, or this person is not going to be with us for long. Now, personally, how did you get interested in this area of study? Well, I got interested because I have a lifelong interest in the field of apologetics, and over the years, oh, also I should say because as as is well known for people who know my story. I spent 10 years as a doubter. I came very close to wandering away from Christianity, and you'll be interested, probably, Pat, I'm sure I've told you this before, but at one point I became very close to, uh, I was very close to becoming a Buddhist, and so because I was always a, a little either on the edge or in the Christian community but studying apologetics, Whenever someone says, hey, have you seen the latest evidence for this, or the latest evidence for that, or here's this secret book that tells this, or, you know, Jesus was married, here's this ancient document. When people purport to have new material, I would generally check it out. And someone, you know, I'd hear someone make a comment about a near-death experience, I'd decide to check it out. And back in those days, there was no Internet and all that, but I would check some sources. I've been doing, next to the resurrection, NDEs uh, are arguably the topic I've spent the most time studying. And, and I would, you know, dig this out and dig that out, because I'm interested in religious phenomena as a whole, and especially when people say it's evidenced. So that was my way in, through my own doubts and through my own interest in apologetics. I see. Now, how did research in this area begin? I mean, when did the scientific community start taking NDE accounts seriously? Well, NDEs have been around for probably as long as we have literature. I mean, they're very ancient. They're not modern things exclusively. Sure, they've picked up like crazy because we can communicate around the world in a matter of minutes and by many means, and people are just interested in the afterlife. They just are. So that's one reason they've picked up today. But, I mean, Plato, hundreds of years before Jesus, gives a very famous, for those who know Plato, gives a, a well-known account in his Republic, Plato's Republic, gives a case of an NDE. There's some others in the ancient world. There's some NDE accounts in the, or, or NDE phenomena, similar phenomena, in the Bible. So, I mean, people, you know, have experiences like this, and people try to make sense of their own experiences. So they've been around, but there's no doubt that they've popped up in the present. Another reason they have is not just because we can communicate around the world and more people are going to know about it, but through medical technology, more people can be brought back from the brink, so to speak, than uh, ever before. 
And, you know, when I'm reading this, I notice a wide range of diverse people who are having near-death experiences, right. not just Christians oh, or yeah. Hindus, but atheists as well. I think Ernest oh, yeah. Hemingway had what he considered near-death experience and other atheists. Isn't that correct? Yeah, and there's some very fa- put put in there, too, that there's some very famous people who've had NDEs. Carl Jung, the one of the most influential psychologists of the last hundred years, reports a very interesting near-death experience. So yes, I've seen studies or heard of studies that have been done in Pure Land Buddhism with NDEs. I have a study on my shelf with hundreds of Hindus, near-death studiers. Um, I have an article in one of my books on NDEs. One of the separate chapters is called, I Was an Atheist Until I Died. And, and that's an interesting title because the guy who wrote it, he later became a minister. And I know a case of, a, of another guy, a very well-known case today, of a thoroughgoing atheist who had a near-death experience. He had a, I think he had a Ph.D., but he went back to school, did a master's degree, and he's pastoring today. So, yeah, I mean, undeniably, when people have near-death experiences, they're generally speaking, they don't come away and say, I had a near-death experience, and man, it was the craziest fantasy thing that ever happened to me. They don't say that. They come back and they say, the most incredible thing that ever happened in my life just happened to me. I mean, here's another one. I just remembered A.J. Ayer, the famous atheist philosopher, had a near-death experience shortly before he died. And he wrote an article of all titles. He wrote an article, and I think the title, or pretty close to it, is What I Saw When I Was Dead. Well, you know, if you're an atheist, you shouldn't be writing an article like that. You shouldn't be seeing anything when you're dead. So that's the challenge that NDEs are to other worldviews. Yeah. Now, is there a common thread in these experiences? Often in these stories, I hear people seeing a white shining light at the end of a tunnel or something like that, or they see their loved ones there. Right. Is there a common thread you hear in a lot of these stories? Let's say semi-common or less than common, but still enough people who have them. Yeah, there are a number of NDE studies that you know, in statistical fashion, will tell you how many people in this particular study, how many of them saw a light, how many of them felt they went down a tunnel, how many of them felt they were surrounded by angels or by deceased friends and loved ones, how many of them thought this, how many of them thought that. And generally, this picture that we get, the common picture from television programs or popular writings, is that almost the idea you get is like, quote-unquote, everyone will or did go down a tunnel accompanied by their beings, angels or family, saw this light, was surrounded by incalculable love, uh, felt loved immensely, returned to life, and no longer feared death. We get the idea that that, like, happens almost all the time. Actually, if you broke down some of those experiences, they would be fairly low percentages, like 25% people report this one, 38% of the people, but nothing like 95 or 99%. So there is a wide range of experiences, just like there's a wide range of people. Now, most of the people I talk to who experience this says, you know, whether they're Christian or atheist, they said, you know, it was a peaceful kind of thing. Yep. Is that what you find with most people, or is it just peaceful for Christians who know Jesus? No, it's not just peaceful for Christians. Most 
of those who experience NDEs say they were at peace, at rest. There are some negative experiences. There are uh, some very famous, well-known hell cases. Now, you know, just like the Zondervan, I think it's Zondervan who has the four views on hell book, and I think it's a four views and not, you know, one of the three or five, but I think it's a, a four views on hell. Just like that book where you have four Christian scholars arguing for four pictures of hell, some of the Indiers who say they experienced hell or judgment or a negative kind of afterlife, um, they're not all the same. Um, some of them say they were in deep despair and they were depressed and they were in darkness. Uh, some say they were like in a lake of fire type thing. My point is that the descriptions are different, but if you put them together and say the distressing or negative near-death experiences, how many of those, what percent would all the negative ones be? They'd be pretty pretty low, maybe 5%. There's not that many. Now, there is one researcher, Maurice Rawlings, who claims, at least told me, who told me, that he had more hell cases than heaven cases. But that is not the status quo. So you do have this kind of puzzling thing where there are like hell cases but you also have this puzzling side of it where, well, like I said, the title of that one article, I was an atheist until I died, where there are even atheists who say uh, it was a good experience. And that was exactly what I was talking about when I say, you know, there's some puzzling experiences here, and I think you do very well to introduce the show the way you did, because so many people are just so interested in the evidence, they just quit talking. Uh, that, that's all I want to talk about. And then later they realized, wow, there are some tough questions here. And that's one of them. Why would an atheist, a Buddhist, a Hindu, why would they feel peaceful and good on a Christian interpretation of an NDE? And that's one of those tough questions that come with it. Yeah, how do you address that issue? I mean, I've talked to several atheists who had NDEs and said, I didn't experience hell. In fact, it was kind of peaceful. And... Therefore, you know, I reject the Bible's teaching on hell and resurrection and judgment and all that. How do you respond to people like that? Right. By the way, I got a question for you. First of all, did these people stay atheists? Yes. Yes. Well, they stayed atheists. Yes. Although they are greatly puzzled because when they say, well, what is the atheist explanation? And I say, well, atheism doesn't believe in an immaterial soul or spirit. So once you died on that hospital bed or wherever you were, it should have been over. But yet, it shows there's something beyond the grave, and they're kind of puzzled by that. But they yeah. Kind of, now, does that does that is that person the atheist who has the experience? Are they afraid to die now? You know, actually, they are not. And yeah. one of the things they say is, you know, it was peaceful, and I didn't see yeah. hell or Jesus or a judgment, so yeah, I'm fine with it. Yeah, that is one of the things. The reason I ask, many of the atheists who have those experiences are no longer atheists after it's over. Because they're obviously experiencing the reality, just like you said. They may not make sense out of it, but they know it's not what they're supposed to experience. So they don't stay that. And they might become a general, like maybe a liberal Christian or, you know what I mean, uh, some other variety of thing. But I will tell you this, the peacefulness, the not being afraid of death, that may be, in a lot of the surveys afterwards, that may be the most frequent report of people who 
have them, not something they saw, but how they felt later. Now, as far as how I, I handle this, I wrote a journal article not long ago, and it was pretty much devoted to explanations like this. What about addressing difficult worldview questions? How could they be anything else? If someone's reporting heavenly data, we don't have any checks and balances for that, not empirical scientific things. But if the person says, I mean, here's an example. I've had a couple people tell me that while they were being taken out to the ambulance, and maybe it's 9 feet, 10 feet tall, they couldn't see up on top of it. Plus, they're prone on a stretcher. But it says someone's putting them inside the van. They say, I'm up above my body, and I'm looking down on my body, which is extremely common. And by the way, the number on the top of the ambulance, the big number that they often use for helicopter, you know, for sightings and things, the number is uh, 327 on top of the van. And you go back and check which one they were in, who had the report, and it's 327. How'd they know that? Well, wow, this was a half hour after they had their accident or their heart attack. So they must have been conscious a half hour later. That's the kind of evidence. Evidence is this worldly. It's things, it's checks and balances in the world. But if the person wants me to believe that because they can tell me the number on top of the ambulance, they can tell me who the bright light was in heaven. It was Jesus. It was an angel. It was Krishna. It was, if they think they can identify who the light was, or what relatives they saw, or the fact that they were very peaceful and they did not block out negative aspects, which the mind can do very easily. There's no evidence for that. So my general principle is this. When someone gives me evidence, it's this worldly, but I'm, I feel if I want to stay with the evidence that I have to separate the evidential things from the religious interpretations, because I don't have evidence for those. And everyone is going to interpret an event within their own orientation. If you're a Buddhist, you're going to have a Buddhist experience. If you're, going to, if you're a Hindu, you have Hindu experience. If you're Jewish, you're going to see an angel. But if you're a Christian, you might call that same light Jesus. Why is that? Because everybody interprets their experiences through their own grid. And so the person might say to you, well, so you Christians think you're the only one. You only accept the Christian interpretations. No, I don't accept the Christian ones either. If a Christian tells me what heaven is like, I have the same kind of skepticism. I don't trust anybody's interpretations. They might end up being right. But how do I know when they're right and when they're wrong? How do I know? So I accept the ambulance reading, 327, because they're right. And they checked that out, and they were, quote-unquote, dead while they gave it to me. But when they say, I went to heaven, and I saw Krishna, I say, um, how do you know that wasn't your own interpretation of this light, this being of light that you saw? And I don't have any checks and balances for that, so I can't buy their interpretation. And you go, well, that goes for hell, too. Then you don't know if they went to hell. Okay. The knife does cut both ways. No, I do not know if they went to hell. I do not know that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense, you know. And there are several explanations for NDEs according to people with different, you know, worldviews. Right. Let's take the pantheists. 
you know, how do they explain these near-death experiences, Hindus sure. and Buddhists and Taoists? That's a tough one. Because if they're monists, and they believe there's only one material in the world, and let's just say it's world soul, then they should not be having a me experience. They should not be able to say, I had an NDE, I had an experience, and it was wonderful. If monism is true, you shouldn't be able to report any of that. Yeah, you should be absorbed into the one, right? In which case, you would not have anything to report. Or, at the very least, what you would report would be some world soul kind of feeling. You know? Mm -hmm. I was part of a triumphantly beating universal heart, or something like that. You know, where you're searching for English or whatever language words to explain what you saw. But in general... Pat, the experience I use is atheist, unbeliever, Buddhist, Christian. They're all the same in the empirical reports. I tend to accept what there's empirical evidence for. But in their interpretations, I didn't see a heaven, I didn't see a hell, I didn't see God, or I did, or I'm an atheist and there's no hell. I don't accept their interpretations. Because why should I? That's like... I mean, it's a little better than your normal everyday experience, but what's the difference between a Hindu telling me he saw Krishna and him telling me at work tomorrow what he believes about Krishna? What's the difference? He's telling me what he believes, no matter which way it is. And what he believes, I don't build my theology on what somebody else believes. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, how do atheists interpret NDEs? I've heard several explanations like hallucinations or you're in a dream state or it's the effects of medication how do they address this issue well i think they could say any of those things but i will tell you this again the person who has an nde especially if it's an involved one oftentimes the deeper you go the closer to death you are the final death the more involved the nde gets and if if the atheist just says, wow, all of a sudden I was looking down at my own body. Wow, that, that could have been an hallucination. Okay, well, that's because they had a very minor, I mean, nothing, no NDEs are minor, but, but they just had an introductory NDE, let's call it. If they thought they zipped away to heaven, and they were with a spirit being, and felt love and peace, or maybe saw hell, I know one unbeliever who had a vision of both heaven and hell, and he came back and said, I want to know Christ. I can't wait any longer. I want to know Christ. And he said, listen, and he witnesses to everybody he knows now. And he says, I'm going to tell you something. I saw heaven. I saw hell. I don't care what you tell me. I don't care if you tell me I'm right or wrong. I just want to tell you something. You don't want to go to that place, and you do want to go to the other one. Let me tell you about Jesus. (laughs) That's how he witnesses. But, you know, and again, you say, well, hey, you're just believing your own rule. That's a Christian report. No, I don't know if he went to heaven and hell. I don't know that. I just think his response, since he was not a Christian beforehand, I just think that's very interesting. But the people who have the deeper experiences, most of the atheists, like you said, they come back having to believe in an alternative reality. They can't stay an atheist after this. Because they might say, ha-ha, I didn't see judgment. You Christians are wrong. 
To which a Christian, by the way, can just say, this is one of those many other responses I make, the Christian could just say, you didn't die long enough. You know, you were out for 32 seconds. Maybe judgment happens at the 48.3 second mark. I mean, you know, if you say to me, I took a trip to New York, and I never saw the Empire State Building. I knew it wasn't there. And you said, ah, duh, you didn't go to the part of the city that the Empire State Building is located in. Well, same thing in ADs. If the person didn't stay long enough or whatever, just the fact that they didn't have judgment doesn't mean there's no judgment. That doesn't follow. I think, like I said, I've got to be skeptical of these sorts of interpretations, whatever they are. But here's the other part of the issue. What do you do with the evidential claims? When the guy says the number on the ambulance is 327, and he was out cold on a stretcher four feet below that, and he's correct, it was 327. Now, the atheist is going to say, well, he saw a medical report later, and it said ambulance number 327. That could be. But there are, I mean, he, he could have done that. But there are evidences, there are NDE evidences that cannot be explained that way. There are NDE reports that are just the most incredibly detailed things that can't be explained from them reading something, because nobody else knows this report. This concludes part one of this intriguing interview on near-death experiences with Dr. Gary Habermas. If you missed any part of this interview, log on at evidenceandanswers.org, and you can listen to this interview and enjoy other great resources right there on the site. Pat is the director of the Pacific Apologetic Center, a subsidiary ministry of the Bible Institute of Hawaii. Pat's ministry relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you've been blessed by these shows... Please support Pat in prayer and with a financial gift by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org. I hope you'll be with us next week for part two of this interview on near-death experiences. Aloha and join us again next week for more Evidence and Answers.